Hey everyone, it's the Covenant Courses Podcast. My name's Weston Brown, and for the last few weeks, we have been talking about the inductive Bible study method, which is this three-part process of observing, interpreting, and applying the Word of God in your life. And we focused most of these last few weeks on those first two stages of observation and interpretation. But today we're going to get into the last stage, which is application. And so Taylor and I are going to be discussing that today. And as always, you can find out more about this course on our course syllabus found in the show notes. And you can dig in with some extra reading as well if you'd like. But for now, let's get into this week's conversation as we talk about biblical application. So Taylor, you were saying that uh, biblical application is challenging for you. You want to unpack that a little bit for us? Sure. Yeah. Biblical application is tough. It's hard for me specifically because I think I've done it wrong in the past. And so I'm, I'm somebody that I, I want to do things right. I want to treat this with respect. And in the area of you know biblical interpretation and application... This is something that I kind of put the cart before the horse for years. And mm-hmm. once I realized that I was doing that, I think it just makes me really wary to do it wrong again. Or it, it, I'm, I'm skeptical. I can find myself being skeptical of how I'm doing it. So mm-hmm. whereas I used to approach a text and say, you know, let's read it. And then right now, what does it mean to me? Right. Meaning yeah. I would approach a text with the goal of application at the forefront of my mind. Mm-hmm giving very little thought, if any, to cultural significance, historical context, or context in general, meaning even within the covenant or book or chapter of a book that I'm reading, what does this text say to Taylor right now today? Right. Yeah. That is that is what I would do for a long time, which is, as we've discussed is kind of the it's either the deductive method where I'm coming and I'm looking for I'm looking to like proof text my way into an mm. application or like the springboard method of interpretation where I'm I'm just looking at a verse and going all right what does this mean right, with, with just right. with no frame of reference outside of that that's what I did for a long time as I learn more about the inductive method I want to do it well and I like doing those first two steps. I like spending time observing. Mm. I like researching and looking at t- context and spending a lot of time interpreting very carefully so that I feel like I am getting to what I would say is the truth of a passage and not mm. just you know, hypothesizing my own truth out of this or, or acting as though I were the author and creating some truth in it. Right. I like doing that hard work. I'm comfortable with it now. What I'm uncomfortable with at this point is the tail end of that and the, mm. you know, making the rubber meet the road. Like that's, I, I've, I've done so much work in this the wrong way mm. that it makes me just skeptical to do it wrong again. And so it's almost like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like, let's just not, let, let's just leave that for another day. Yeah. That deductive or springboard method that we've talked about before is, is largely a, a situation where... I've already determined what I want the application to be, and now I just need to go find the passages of Scripture that support that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that is, it's so enticing, right? Because I, you know, especially if you 
grew up in the church or you feel like you already have a, a, a pretty good understanding of what's in the Bible, it's it's possible that you think, well, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it says something like X, Y, Z somewhere in there. And so I just, I already think that, and now I just need to go find it. Yeah. Um, and it might say something like what you believe to be true, or you might be off base. You know, it's possible because we, we sort of take in um, all kinds of things, especially when you've been around the church for an extended period of time. You, you take in things that you've heard people say. Um, you uh, assume things that you would think to be true. And so um, that's why it's so important that we do this inductive method and walk through the steps in, in the correct order where we start with observation and then go to interpretation and then finally arrive at application. Um, because that's, that's really the only way that we, I think, get to the right place and understand why we got to that place. Yeah. Um, and I agree with that. I'm behind that 100%. I think there's still, it may just be a mental break. Like yeah. there's still a wall that has been built up after maybe seeing application abused or just mm -hmm. used incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And, and not maliciously, but mm -hmm. I just think maybe used incorrectly, especially by myself, there's that wall of kind of, I don't know, some wall I need to break through and go, no, no, no. Yeah. It's still just as important, if not more important than it's ever been, now that the first two steps are being looked at with a more holistic lens. Yeah. But it, it's just getting to the point of feeling comfortable making those application, those steps of application. And it's, I had mentioned it earlier to you, like it's what I want to do is have something specific as a takeaway, something that is asked specifically of me mm -hmm. that makes me more like Jesus. Something that like, I want my application to be something that the spirit will use to make me more like Jesus <clears throat> in some area of my life rather than just a generalization that I can throw around and, and it's very surface level and I could go, yeah, I, I, I just want to love people more or like I just right, want to, right. I, I should care about people differently. Yeah, that's, that's where it gets a little harder is finding a specific application. Yeah, and, and I'll, I mean, I'll kind of help us get on, you know, kind of headed in the direction we're going today Please with, do. with this statement that um, I think hopefully doesn't complicate this further, but when we're talking about interpretation, there is one interpretation for any passage of Scripture that you're reading. Like, it, it doesn't mean multiple things. It means one thing. But when it comes to application, there can be a variety of applications. There can, there can be a variety of ways in which this one text that means only one thing can apply to your life or um, the lives of the collective in one or more ways. So, I mean, your life is unique, your family is unique, your situation is unique. And um, depending on what you're reading, the application of that text to your life might be slightly different than it is to my life. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some things where the application seems kind of universal, right? If we're thinking about something like, thou shall not murder, it seems like the application is universal, right? Yeah. Like, 
None, the application for my life is don't murder somebody. Same and, and as the mine. same thing for you. Yeah. But if we take something like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, well, we can easily arrive at the interpretation of what that means, which is not ambiguous. I mean, it kind of means what it says. But the application of how loving God and loving neighbor plays out in your life may be slightly different than the way it plays out in my life. Right. Um, how, how do you, Taylor, need to love your neighbors right now? Well, first of all, in just identifying neighbors, it, because your circles are different than mine, you have different neighbors than I have. Now, there is sort of this universal sense in which we're all neighbors, right? But But specifically in your life, you have neighbors that I don't necessarily have, like people I don't know, people whose spheres I'm not a part of, right? Yeah. Be that your actual physical neighbors in your neighborhood, be that your coworkers, uh, the people at your kid's daycare, I mean, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how you love them and who they are, it's going to be different for you than it is for me. And yeah. so so that that's maybe an example of... of why we say there's one interpretation, but there are many applications. Um, and the other piece I would throw in here is that this is different from interpretation in that interpretation and observation to some extent are are sort of like academic tasks in that I, I have to read the scripture and observe the scripture thoroughly and then I have to do the work of establishing context and arriving at an interpretation. And that's all that's all work that I can like sit down and do in mm-hmm. an allotted period of time. Um, I may not there may be people who can do it better than me or faster than me or who have more resources at their disposal. But it is something that I can kind of sit down and if I work through the process, I can get it done. Application, though, I think is something that is largely dependent on the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, I think the Holy Spirit is primarily the agent that takes the interpretation of Scripture, and it's not as if the Holy Spirit isn't involved in observation and interpretation. But when it comes to application, it's like, no, I desperately need the voice of God in my life, kind of that guiding voice of the Spirit to help me understand practically how the thing that I've arrived at or the thing that I've come to see to be true in the scripture actually plays out on the ground in my life. And um, that may take time to figure out. Like it's, it's not, it's a less academic kind of task. It is a more spiritual task. Mm -hmm. I think in that I can't just say, Hey, from uh, 9am to 10am this morning, I'm going to sit down and apply this text to my life. There are times when I could do it in five seconds. There are times when I really need to sit with it for a period and pray over it and meditate on it and ask the Lord, Lord, what does this mean for me? And I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll arrive at it. And then there are times where the text may just not have an application in your life at this moment. I, I don't know that I would say that every single passage of scripture that you could possibly read has a relevant application for your life right now, you know, and that that's true for anything you could read in the scripture. Um, And so this is, this is just sort of a different kind of work 
than what we've been talking about thus far. And and so I think that's why maybe you feel like it's harder is because it's it's a little bit intangible. Yeah. And there may be things that I've read and interpreted but go, man, I you know, I don't have a clue what that means for me. Um that's I I like that because I was so I was reading Klein's book on Bible study again last night and which is our our primary text that's for right. this course. Well, quick little plug for that book. It is great. And at the end of the chapter on the inductive method, he makes the I guess it's not an analogy. It's like an an example of the academic side of observation and interpretation and the fact that like you can't pray your way into gaining appreciation for the context of a passage like you yeah. as much as you want to pray and i think he uses like the word phylactery mm. as much as you want to pray to the holy spirit for him to for him to just illuminate you on the meaning of the word phylactery you just need to do the work of going look it up right if yeah. you're looking at a passage that includes this word and you're like well I, I just don't know what what it means do the scholastic work of going look that up and figure out what it is what mm-hmm. is a phylactery we can do that work mm-hmm and for me, now that I can do that work, I really enjoy those first two steps. I can sit there and, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, do the work all day. Yeah, but you can't a, just there... like carry that forward. You don't just do the work in an in application that like I'd get to the end and go, all right, let's look to my, my dictionary on, on how, That's I, right. yeah, how yeah, I apply it, it. Well, it's a different kind of work. And I, it's, it's, it's different also in the sense that I, it's not as easy to feel like a sense of completion with it. Oh yeah, totally. Right? Because because there are many applications, the the way a passage of scripture gets applied in my life right now might be different 2 years from now. Mhm. Right? There might be different factors. And so it's something that I mean and and this makes sense if you think of the word of God as being living and active that it is not simply a uh, a work of literature that we, you know, do like literary criticism with, and you know, we we arrive at the interpretation of things, and our task is finished. It's this living thing that uh, Scripture says is like a double-edged sword, and it, you know, it kind of cuts into us and and flays us open, and and it and if you've really spent any time with it you will find that it it does that in unexpected ways and at unexpected times um and so yeah there is less of a sense of completion with application because we are all progressively being sanctified um progressively being conformed to the image of Christ we're growing in our knowledge and understanding and maturity and so i think application follows that same trajectory as well. So it's just a different thing in a lot of ways. It is. So let's talk about, um, with all of that in mind, just some steps for effectively pursuing application. And uh, the first one is, uh, surprise, surprise, know the text. Hmm. You know, and this just takes us back to everything we've been talking about up to this point, which is if you haven't done the work to get to the end of, it, of effective interpretation, then you're not going to be able to do the work of application. That's right. So we've, we've belabored that point, but I, we just can't stress it enough. You cannot come to the text with your own preconceived application. You, you have to allow the text to speak for itself and then apply it to your life. 
The second point would be that you have to know yourself. Like, I think there's a certain amount of introspection um, or listening to the Holy Spirit that has to take place in the process of biblical application. I, I have to have an awareness of my sin. I need to have an awareness of the ways in which I'm especially tempted. Um, I need to have a, a, a real, I mean, if I have this sort of, um, if I'm just oblivious to my shortcomings or if I'm oblivious to my nature or my the tendencies that I have in my life, it's, it's going to be much harder for me to, I think, adequately apply uh, scripture to my life. So I really, I really have to do some introspective work and, and get to know myself a little bit better. And I, you know, you know, some people poo poo on, uh, I'm sorry, can I say poo poo? I, I assume you can. <laughs> on the air. My, my three-year-old will tell you no, <laughs> but yeah, go for it. No, but there are people who like to poo poo on uh, personality assessments. Like, oh, yeah. you know, like the Enneagram yeah. or the Myers-Briggs or, you know, the Strengths Finder, those kinds of things that are out there. Um, and I, I mean, I don't think those things are, are be-all, end-all type things at all. But, but what they can do is if you're especially just sort of um, head in the clouds or um, unself-aware, I think some of those things can possibly reveal some things to you or or magnify some things that maybe you thought to be true. And mm-hmm. so that's that's possibly a step that you could take um, in in gaining a greater sense of self-awareness. Yeah. Um, but but having that understanding kind of who you are and how you're wired and what you're tempted towards and where you tend to struggle, those kinds of things are going to be important, I think, in applying a text to your life. Uh, step number three would be to meditate on on the text itself. Like once you've arrived at some interpretation, um, I think you know possibly even the first step of application is to just sit with it. Just sit with it for a while. As we said, this is not something that you can just carve out an hour or fifteen minutes and uh, figure out the application as if it's totally on you and your intellect to do that work. Um, Sometimes we just have to sit with it for a while and um, ask the Lord to reveal himself, ask the Lord to reveal application to us, and that might take minutes, it might take hours, that might take weeks or months. Yeah. Um, Do we have time for like a a real quick tangent? Sure. So can we talk again about biblical meditation? Sure. That this isn't, so we're not saying when we say meditate on a text or meditate on a verse, especially if there's something key in there for you. It's not the process of emptying your mind and like emptying everything so that you can just be open for suggestion, right? right? Biblical meditation is, it's it's almost like there's a verbal component. Like yeah. there's a really quiet, repetitive reflection on a verse or mm-hmm. on a passage. Mm-hmm. And that that was big for me, moving from just kind of reading something and going on with my day to really trying to keep keep that text with me throughout the day. That that almost soft verbal component, and really it goes hand in hand mm-hmm. with what our next point is mm-hmm. about memorization. But meditation for me has made a big difference when I've actually done that. 
when I've actually tried to make that part of my day. People are uncomfortable with the word meditation because they think of that as a uh, an Eastern religion type of thing. Right. Um, Which is a form of it. It is. I, I like to remind people that Christianity is also an Eastern religion um, because I think we forget that quickly. And, and meditation is a decidedly sort of Eastern thing. Um, if you think about uh, the way that meditation is used in, uh, say, Buddhism, it is sort of what you're talking about. It is, it is like an emptying of the mind, right? Yeah. Um, the way it's used in, in other things like Hinduism is, you know, you might have a mantra, which essentially is a statement or a word that you just repeat over and over and over again. And even though that is a different thing, that, that same kind of thing is at work in Christian meditation. Instead of having some random mantra that's been given to you by a guru, in, in Christian meditation, we are essentially making the Word of God our mantra, right? Like we are taking either a, a verse or part of a verse or even a word, and we are ruminating on it, just like holding it in our minds, sitting with it, um, mulling it over, however you want to think about it. Um, the word uh, rumination relates to that sort of turning over of um, what you're thinking about. So, so like a cow is sometimes referred to as a ruminant animal in that a cow has multiple stomachs and it chews its cud and it like its food is kind of going through this circular process. And so that is what we're going for in Christian meditation. It is to like take a text and just sit with it. And if that's not, if that's an idea that's new to you, as it is for many Western evangelical Christians, mm-hmm. um, I would really encourage you. There's a there's a great podcast um, called the Encounter Podcast, and you could just go to Google uh, or Apple Podcast and type in Encounter Podcast. Um, and this is a podcast that is done by uh, a friend of mine named Drew Dickens, um, and and it is a Christian meditation podcast. And so he he has an episode every day. They're typically like fifteen to seventeen minutes. And, and what he does basically is he reads a passage of Scripture, and then he guides you. It's a guided meditation around a passage of Scripture. And so it's a great, it's a great podcast. I really enjoy it and get a lot out of it. And I think one of the things it could do for you is it could just sort of teach you how to do this yourself as well, rather than listening to the podcast every day, which you may want to do, but it also can kind of show you how you can do this also. And by sitting with a text for an extended period of time, I think there's a greater likelihood that the Lord will reveal things to you as you mull it over. So you mentioned that next one, number four for us, is to memorize key verses or to memorize key words or something like that. Um, I can't say enough about memorization. I'm not great at it, uh, naturally. Like, Like, I have to work at memorization. Um, and I am often not diligent enough in working at memorization. Um, it's I tell you what's especially hard for me, and I've maybe mentioned this before, but verse numbers are yeah. really hard for me. Just remembering numbers for some reason is something I, I struggle with. I can remember words all day long, um, but to tell you, oh, well, that's Galatians 3.23. You know, yeah. <laughs> like that's that piece. It, I can go, hey, you know, in Galatians, Paul says X, Y, and Z. Um, the number piece is hard for me. 
Um, so, so don't let that kind of stuff bog you down. Just, just work on memorizing, like holding the word of God, hiding the word of God in your heart. Um, I think that will help as well. And that's sort of a facet of meditation as Taylor mentioned. And then the last piece that we're going to dig into is just asking key questions of a text that could possibly illuminate some potential points of application for us. So you want to walk us through um, some of these key questions? Sure. Yeah, do we want to just list them out or we want to try to... Yeah, let's just kind of, let's take them one by one and unpack them a little bit. Okay, so our first one, and and so this is at the end of the rest of the list that we've gone through. Once we're looking at some of these application questions, the first one would be in your text, is there an example to follow? Right. So is there something being done that you think should be done also? Yeah. So remember the story of Jesus is the central story of scripture. Um, like it is, it is the primary, um, you know, what we said is that in the Old Testament, everything's pointing ahead to the story of Christ. And then in the New Testament, everything revolves around Jesus. And so when we're reading the story of Jesus and asking, is there an example to follow here? Well, the answer to that question is, Absolutely, there is, and the example is Jesus. Yeah. Um, so th- that's a really easy one in the sense that, um, from an interpretation standpoint, um, Jesus is providing us with an example. And then from the application standpoint, I have to go now, how does that example that Jesus has supplied us with? actually flesh itself out in my life. Yeah, because that's where it could get tricky, right? That's right. If you look at something like Jesus feeding the Mm 5,000, well, there's an example there, but it's probably not that I need to go feed 5,000 people. Right, right. Um, And and again, your life is specific to you. And so um, depending on who you are and what you struggle with and who's around you, the way that you apply the example of Christ is going to be a little different. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's something he says of himself. He tells his disciples, I've given you an example to follow. So understanding Jesus, learning Jesus, um, looking at the example of his life and his ministry and his words and his actions is an example that we are to look to and then go, all right, in my day-to-day what does it look like for me to be more like Christ yeah. to the people around me? And this is where we have to get kind of specific in, in the same way that we were talking about loving God and loving neighbor. Um, love can be sort of a nebulous term to us. So application might ask a question like, no, what specifically does it look like for you to love the person who lives next door to you, Right. Um, you may go, well, the person that lives next door to me is a, uh, a widow, um, and what it looks like for us to love her well is for us to invite her into our home for dinner every so often and to just spend time with her. Um, so so there, is, there is an application, however hypothetical, that you know, might relate to your life. Like, he, like here is the, here's the, the command, here's the example that Christ has given us, 
And what that looks like with this person is this. And what that looks like with this coworker I, I have who I really struggle with and who um, is a difficult person, here's what it looks like for me to love them well. Um, so Jesus is our example. There are many other great examples, though, in the Scripture. There are also some terrible examples. Um, Paul. I think is is a great example. What does it look like? I mean, one of the things that always strikes me about Paul is the fact that um, Paul has horrible things that happen to him. I mean, he gets beaten, stoned, uh, shipwrecked, snake bitten, thrown in jail. I mean, all of these things, and and yet he he is like laser focused on the mission of the gospel. No matter where he is, no matter uh, his situation, no matter the hardship that he's enduring, I mean, it really is an, an, an inspiring thing to me. And so a question that I could ask myself in light of that is, man, what are the ways that I um, am unwilling to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? Um, and what, what, could, what could I be doing to help change that? in my life. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, it does. And it kind of works into the next question, yeah. which is the flip side of this. So in your text, is there a sin to avoid? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess if we continue using, um, if we continue using the great commandment and the fulfillment of the law, right? If we're loving God and loving our neighbors as ourselves, is there a sin to avoid? So by going on with this example, then, um, I guess I'd be forced to look at my life and say, like, what am I doing? In what area am I really lacking here? Like, is there yeah. is there something that I'm avoiding that I could be, you know, I could be loving my neighbors, but I'm actually maybe I'm actively avoiding them. Mm -hmm. Like I'm racing into the garage and just shutting the door and, and just like never, never giving a moment to even mm -hmm. show my face to these people. Yeah, I, I suppose it'd be something along those lines. If we're again, if we're using this sure. passage as our example. You know, we find all kinds of sin throughout the Bible. I mean, Paul Paul is notorious for giving us these long lists of different sins. Yeah, and you know what's always in it? Like what's that? disobeying your father and mother. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, it's That's included true. in like just the craziest list of stuff. We looked at that uh, this past Sunday in Second Timothy, yeah. where um, he talks about um, in the last days, right. lovers of know, money, you're lovers of have, sell. It's yeah, exactly. just all this terrible stuff, and also. They don't listen to mom and dad. That's right. <laughs> Which is one of the Ten Commandments. Well, that's right. Right? If you think about the Ten Commandments, there are some where, you know, I go, well, if if we read Thou Shall Not Murder, mm -hmm. okay, the application for all of us is Thou Shall Not Murder. Okay, that's an easy one for me, right? I'm Check. not I am not <laughs> regularly tempted to commit murder. Yeah. Um, but then there are other things like Thou Shall Not Lie, mm -hmm. uh, Obey Your Father and Mother, uh, remember the Sabbath yeah. and keep it holy. Those are things that we are perhaps more inclined um, to engage in, and in some cases may not even realize it is sin or be convicted that it is sin. Uh, covetousness is one of those um, that we all we all probably on some level engage in covetous behavior on the regular without realizing that that's what it is or thinking of it as such or feeling this deep sense of conviction over it. And yet when we sit with 
um, the idea of covetousness, or when we sit with the Ten Commandments and meditate on them and ask key questions about them, we can't help but ask, in what ways in my life am I covetous? Who, who am I? Whose life am I looking at and going, man, I wish that was me? I mean, for me, I've been off social media for a while now, but I, I came to just feel like social media was just one enormous exercise in covetousness. Yeah. Either I coveted what someone else had or what their life was like, um, or I engaged in this prideful, like, you know, kind of like the Pharisee going, thank God I'm not that guy type behavior. And and so it just, it didn't bring out anything good in me. And um, so, so, yeah, that could be an application for you. A point of application is going, man, how, how am I covetous in my life? What are my tendencies in that area? And who, who is that directed towards? What are the triggers for that kind of behavior for me? I mean, those baby things you're just not thinking about at all mm-hmm. until you get to a passage of Scripture that you sit with and you go, God, reveal to me what this looks like in my life. to claim. So you're going to have to talk me through this so you can defend the point that this is not name it, claim it theology. (laughs) Um, Well, Jesus clearly makes promises to us, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Jesus tells us things like, we've already mentioned one, don't worry about tomorrow. Yeah. Um, One we, I mean, we just, we just had uh, Resurrection Sunday. Um, One of the ones we talked about was Jesus saying, um, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, That's because right. I have overcome the world. Um, so the new covenant um, that is made in and through Jesus' death and resurrection is full of promises for us, um, that we are uh, beloved children of the King, that we are forgiven of our sin, um, that we are made new, born again, whatever language you want to use. Um and yet those are promises that we might be prone to forget. Um, I mean, the Bible gives us story after story after story of people clearly hearing God's words and then just forgetting them, um, including the story of Jesus where the disciples um, at the resurrection have, have clearly forgotten that Jesus very plainly said that it was necessary for him to die and that he would rise from the dead. Yeah, He said it so much that his... Even even like his opponents knew about this, which is what led to the whole there being a centurion at the at the tomb and there being an armed guard basically at the tomb. Right. Um, so yeah, um, what are those promises, and and in what ways do you need to be resting in those things? In what ways do those things need to become more real and true? You know, um, I mean, a big one in today's world is fear, worry, anxiety. How many times does the Bible say, "Do not fear"? Right? Yeah. If we are, if we are in Christ, if if we are seeking to follow the Lord, 
man, we literally have nothing to worry about. Literally have nothing to worry about. Um, and yet we are so prone to that. So, so what does it look like in your life? In what ways are you, uh, do you have a tendency towards anxiety or worry or fear? And if you sit with a passage of scripture, like take heart because I've overcome the world, what is the, what is the spirit saying to you for how that could play out in your life? And what are, what are the specific areas or situations or relationships where you need to really lean into that promise instead of your own, you know, anxiety? Hmm. Does, that, does that make sense at all? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I like it. What's next? All right. So our fourth one here, uh, is there a prayer to pray? So depending on what you're reading and depending on who is speaking, is there a prayer in the text? Some of these are pretty obvious. Especially when it's, hey, Jesus, how do we pray? And the answer is like this. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, though, with the Lord's Prayer, because I grew up in a church that did not pray the Lord's Prayer. Okay. Um, instead, the, the interpretation was, this is a model for prayer, mm -hmm. but we are not meant to pray this verbatim. And I grew up in a church that that was the prayer. We, we right? prayed this it verbatim. This is a prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And so you say these words. Exactly. Um, so where do you sit now? Well, I grew that? up in a church that, you know, wanted to do whatever it could do to not even remotely be perceived as being Catholic. <laughs> so, <laughs> True. Um, yeah. So this is one of those things where, um, with something like the Lord's Prayer, I think it's both and. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying it verbatim. And here at Covenant Shreveport, we pray it verbatim every single week. That's right. It's one of those things where it's kind of like, it's so plain, but it's like the disciples ask, how should we pray? And Jesus says, pray like this. And so I, there's certainly not going to be anything wrong with you praying <laughs> like that. Some people want to go, yeah, but he said like. It's like this, meaning not this exactly, but... You're being a bit speculative there. Right. I think both things are true. It's like, are these good things for us to be praying? Absolutely. Is this also something that I can use as a model for constructing my own unique prayers? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, of course it is. Um, and, and, and the bigger question here, though, is are you, are you praying, right? Like sure. In, in what way are some of the prayers we find in Scripture kind of making their way into your prayer life. What is what is the Spirit saying to you about your prayer life? Is it non-existent? Is it something that is sort of um, intermittent? Is it something that needs to be shorn up in some way? Okay. Um, so instead of this question being, the, in the text you're reading, are there some words that you need to immediately parrot and, and mimic and just do that, which is not wrong. Right. But it, more than that, the question is, in your prayer life, is there an area of prayer that is specifically spoken to maybe in this passage that is currently missing from your prayer life? Is sure. there some edification of God's goodness that maybe you're forgetting throughout the day mm. when you're praying? Maybe it's mostly requests or maybe it's, you know, mm. is there something going on here that's currently not a part of what you do? You know, one of the things I think about here, and this and this relates to the question we asked earlier, is there an example to follow? Um, what we said is that, you know, Jesus is kind of the penultimate example for us in Scripture, and what's interesting is we get a good bit of Jesus praying 
in the gospel accounts, um, particularly what's called the high priestly prayer, mm-hmm. um, where um, Jesus prays in the in the garden. Um, but I, even just now, I was thinking about how um, Jesus prays right before his arrest. Um, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Um, that's, that's something that, um, that I want to incorporate more into my prayer life. This not my will, but your will be done. Because for so many of us, our prayer life is purely us bringing our list of needs and wants to God. Um, and, and yet not stopping or shutting up long enough to realize that that God has a will and has intention for us as well, that God has things to say to us. And, and you've probably heard that prayer is as, as much about listening as it is about talking. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things where it's like, yes, Father, I, I have these things I want to kind of bring and lay before you, and yet the thing that Scripture tells me I should most want is for your will to be done because I, I, I like, I believe it's better than my will. Even if I don't know what your will is, Mm -hmm. it's, it's better than anything I could come up with. Yeah. So, uh, next is, is there a command to obey? Um, this relates to some of the things we've talked about before. Obviously we're talking about the 10 commandments. If we're talking about some of the words of Christ, um, to some extent, um, uh, some of the things we find in Paul's letters as well. Um, there are things in the story of Israel also, and just Israel's relationship to the Lord and obedience to God. Um, and and yet, as we said in previous episodes, um, there are commands we find in the Bible that are no longer relevant to our lives. Because, At least not in the way that they read. That's right, because of the covenantal age that we are now living in, which is this age of the new covenant in Christ, in which the old covenant that was made with Moses and Abraham, those things have largely been fulfilled. And so if you're thinking about commands that we find in the Mosaic law, um, as we talked about before, whether it's the dietary requirements that God had for the Israelites, or if it's the... Um, kind of the ritualistic laws um, or the sacrificial laws, um, we primarily see those things as having been fulfilled and thus um, ended through Christ. Um, And yet there are things, we've been talking about the Ten Commandments um, throughout, there are things like that that would be considered moral law that have not been done away with, and Jesus upholds those things and talks about those things as well. So this is where, again, doing that work of interpretation and asking what covenantal age am I in, Mm -hmm. and what covenantal age is this passage of Scripture in, will help us arrive at some application. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. What's next? All right, so after our command, is there a condition to meet? Yeah. Along the same lines, um, is there is there something, some sort of metric, some sort of mark or milestone here that I need to be taking note of and applying to my life? Um, is there a situation that I need to be aware of and and sort of a, address how that could play out in my own life? Okay, um, I'm not coming. And a, a great example of this is not necessarily coming to mind off the top of my head, um, but there it is. Uh, number seven, is there an error to mark? Um, is there an error to mark? 
Uh, is this similar to sin? Yeah, to some extent. Um, I, I mean, the Bible does a great job of giving us um, not just positive examples, but also negative examples. Okay. Right? Um, so the Bible, um, even even with characters who are seemingly um, g- good characters, um, they're not flawless people. Um, so just think about King David. And mm-hmm. King David is held up as being this man after God's own heart, and yet he's also an adulterer. He's also a murderer. Like he, like he also like has some pretty negative characteristics as well. Um, and so, um, what are errors that we see maybe people falling into in in scripture that you know? Praise the Lord, we have their examples so that we don't have to also fall into that same trap. Okay. So yeah. that's that's one direction I think you could go with that. Um, and then uh, finally, number eight, is there a challenge to me? Is there a way that you uh, feel challenged by a passage of Scripture to kind of step up to the plate? Uh, a lot of times this may relate to passages about obedience um, in some way. Um, uh, I, I think about a story like the rich young ruler, and the challenge that Jesus places before him is sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. There are plenty of other people that Jesus calls to follow him, and they have excuses. Well, I'll, I'll follow you, but first let me go do these other things. Yep. And so, um, in in I mean, just here off the top of my head, I'm just like, man, what what in my life am I like, Lord? Let me let me do this first, and and then and then you got all of me. Let me let me. Let me get to this station in life first, or let me make this much money first, or let me get this kind of uh, position at work first, or let me find the right person to marry first. I mean, what what is it for you? You know, like this is this is why application is is unique for each person. Um, in what ways are you being challenged by the words of Christ? In what ways are you being challenged by Holy Scripture? And what are the things standing in the way of you actually stepping up to the plate there as well? Yeah. So, uh, so that's that's eight uh, key application questions. Is there an example to follow? Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a prayer to pray? Is there a command to obey? Is there a condition to meet? Is there an error to mark? Is there a challenge to meet? And um, in all of this, as we have said. Effective application rests on accurate interpretation. Um, Also, Taylor, I'll I'll mention that effective application has to be filtered through the New Covenant. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've talked about this a little bit with interpretation. um, But again, if your application, if, if the way that you're applying a passage of Scripture to your life does not come through the 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 uh, the filter of Jesus crucified and resurrected and and all of the ramifications of that, then your application is not going to be accurate, right? So we, like we have to put it through that lens to arrive at the right place. Like if we're if we're applying things to our life as if, for example, I have to somehow earn my salvation before the Lord. Then I am not filtering this through the lens of Jesus crucified and resurrected. Mm-hmm. So would this affect the way that we read something like the Book of James? 
Sure. This, that's just kind of the thing that jumped to mind. Give me, give me right an example away. of what you what you mean. So like, be not only hearers of the word, but doers also. Mm. Um, if our application from that is, I can't just listen to this thing, but I have to go and do some stuff mm. or else, then you could... This is one of the age-old problems with James, right? Right. You can get into this mode of reading that and then going, oh man, if I'm not doing the thing, whatever that is, if, if I'm not doing works then I don't have this salvation that's talked about elsewhere in the New Testament. Right, right. So, it, so is that where we're going with filtering this through the New Covenant? Of No, this, this should actually be just a, a genuine and, and almost like reactive outpouring of doing mm. the good works because of your, your solidified salvation through only your faith in Christ. Absolutely. A- another way to think about this, too, is just because... Um, just because a character is in the Bible does not necessarily mean that they are someone that you should pattern your life after. Um, unless it's Jesus. Unless it's Jesus, yeah. Like Jesus is is the, really the only <laughs> the only one that we can say that with like complete yeah. certainty. Um, David is somebody who it's like there are great things that David does that we can look at and go, yeah, absolutely, that needs to be a characteristic in my life. There are also things he does that are the exact opposite of how we should be living. Um, One thing that comes to mind for me is Psalm 139, which is one of the what are called imprecatory psalms, which are psalms that are all about like essentially calling down curses on your enemies. And so one of the things that we mean when we say that application has to be filtered through the new covenant is David says in Psalm 139, Oh, that you would slay the wicked God. I hate them with complete hatred, right? Yeah. If we read that and go, Oh, the application for my life is that it is perfectly fine for me to hold hatred for people. We have to take that concept and filter it through the new covenant, which means filtering it through the teaching of Christ. And Matthew 5, says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Yeah. And when Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you, I, I don't think he means praying, oh God, please murder <laughs> them all. Right? right. Yeah. Like it's, it's praying for their good. It's Jesus on the cross. Is there an example for me to follow? It's Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. Like as, as his enemies in that moment are murdering him, he is praying for their good. Right. So anything that we find like that from the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, if we want to just pull it out and go, oh, thank you, Lord. Now I get some like biblical backup for my complete hatred of certain people. Yeah. No, we have to put that through the lens of Christ and recognize that, oh, that's actually not how I should be thinking or behaving. Yeah. And I, I laughed while you were giving that specific example, but I have had conversations with folks who have experienced that exact thing happen, where you'll have somebody pull out what looks to be a random verse from the Old Testament, and usually it's usually it's an Old Testament passage that surrounding like the holy wars or surrounding even I think maybe the the covenant with Noah that kind of has a, a retribution principle in it or introduced into it. They'll use that as 
the backing for, you know, I get to, and it, and it's mostly comes down to what you said. I get to hate a specific mm-hmm. type of people or group of people, mm-hmm. but there's always some, uh, you, you kind of flounder on that point when you put it through the lens of Jesus. Like, okay, can you still hold that yeah. while also holding all of the teachings of Jesus? I love there's an Anne Lamott quote. I think it's Anne Lamott, but but there's a quote uh, where she says, it, you know you've made God in your own image if it turns out he hates all the same people you do. Right. Um, which is, is one that just has always stuck with me. I, I, another example of this could be... Um, David saying something like, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And you could take that and apply it to your life and say, well, that means I'm perfect, right? <laughs> like God has made me perfectly and I have no flaws or problems. Um, but we filter it through the lens of the new covenant. Paul says in Romans 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Yeah. So that may that one may be a little bit silly, but... Um, but that kind of thing happens where, where we want to kind of latch onto a verse because we already have an application in our mind. We really want it to say this or to apply to the thing that we hope to be true, yeah. but we have to filter it through the new covenant. Um, and then the final step of application is to pray and wait. What we have said all along is this is something that just takes a while. And um, so don't, uh, don't rush it. Be willing to sit with the text. Be willing to meditate on the text. Be willing to just kind of um, uh, listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and to, to be still before the Lord and ask for His guidance and wisdom. And um, there are going to be times, again, where this happens very quickly. There are going to be times where it takes longer. And um, there may be times where you just go, yeah, I have no clue. I don't know right now, you know, and I mean, there are passages that just may not apply to your life in this moment. Um, But maybe two years from now, you go, oh, okay, you know, you're in a different season, different situation, and the Lord uses it and and shows you something that maybe you hadn't seen before. Um, So one of the things I, I want us to see, and hopefully you've picked up on this, is, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say, and maybe we've talked about, Taylor how you can read a passage of Scripture and it may not mean anything to you, and you read it again a few years later, and, and suddenly you go, oh, wow, this is, this is deep and, and meaningful to me now, that what has changed there is not the interpretation right. of the passage. What has changed is the way that the Holy Spirit has kind of revealed the application of that passage to you in your life. Um, I think that's what's primarily going on if you've ever experienced anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, any other thoughts before we kind of wrap up today on application? Um, yeah, yeah, I have I have a, a big one that we haven't talked about at okay, all. Okay, hit me. It takes context. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, what's that? Taylor? No, I man, I just to feel like for us to wrap this up means going right to, back to the beginning and saying do do the work before this. Yeah, the application is going to be maybe the hardest part, but you'll only make it harder if you're not correctly observing and rightly interpreting. That's right. That's right. So what we're going to do next time in our next episode is uh, I want to kind of work through this whole process um, because we've, we've taken it in chunks. 
And um, what I want to do is I want to I want to kind of work through observation, interpretation, and application with a few different passages of scripture, and hopefully give you a sense of of kind of what this looks like, maybe in in real time or, or semi real time, and um, and hopefully this will bring all of this together. Um, because we're, we're nearing the end of, of this course. We only have a couple of episodes left. And so um, next time we'll do that. And then we'll wrap up this whole course by just trying to put a bow on everything and possibly also looking at some other uh, Bible study methods that you could engage with, such as word studies and, and that kind of stuff. There, there are certainly other things that you can be doing to help interpret and apply passages of Scripture in your life. So uh, let's stop there for today. And um, we'll see you guys next time. Cool. Peace.